0: I haven't read a physical newspaper in years. Uh, I don't go to conventional news sites uh, the way I used to. I don't watch um, TV news anymore. But I think there is still a role for traditional news because they're still, in a way, gatekeepers. Um, The people who make opinions, the people who, who make policy, they still look at that. And that's the filter that they see. So in a way, it it still influences a certain segment of people. But it's no longer the consensus builder that it used to be. It no longer determines what the public view on something is. Because now there's many, many views.
1: That was Ricky Karandang. My name is J.P. Alipio, and this is The Wildcast Podcast. The Wildcast Podcast. i would like to invite all of you to help support the production of the wildcast podcast by buying us a coffee all you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee buy us two coffees three five ten all of those coffees would keep us caffeinated and keep us going creating this content talking to all of these amazing individuals and sharing their stories with all of you so go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Welcome back listeners of the Wildcast podcast and welcome to 2023. It's another year and can you imagine it's been, what now, three years since the pandemic started? It still feels like 2020 was just last year. I mean, you know, obviously it's been three years and But it just seems like we just stopped. (laughs) And and then, you know, this year is just the the first time that we're actually starting to get life back to normal again. I mean, 2022 was maybe 50% normal. But I think 2023 is going to be much, much more like 2019 and the previous years than any other year. And anyway, today... I would like to welcome a very special guest, Ricky Carandang. I have uh, I met him on Instagram for some reason. He listens to the Wildcast podcast, and uh, I invited him to, to chat about his life and his work, as well as his thoughts on Philippine politics over at the Wildcast podcast. And uh, it's a really interesting conversation, actually. And for people who were very heavily invested in last year's elections... Uh, the political scene in the Philippines, journalism, social media, and a lot of these things that have changed the landscape of Philippine politics, Philippine journalism, Philippine media over the last 10 years. I think this is a conversation for you. Um, This is also a very good conversation for people who have had a hard time, I think, moving on from the 2022 presidential elections. A lot of people, of course, were uh, very disappointed in the results of the elections, uh, seeing with the return of the Marcoses and uh, the defeat of, of Lenny Robredo. But uh, I think this conversation will offer you a little bit of um, maybe clarity about what happened and what what we can do and and essentially... In retrospect looking at how movements and social media can be used for the betterment of this country the betterment of politics uh, all around and even uh, journalism you know uh, there is a way to take all of these things back and get back to principle uh, leadership in the Philippines so without further ado this is my conversation with journalist and all around good guy, Ricky Carandam. Have a listen. All right. Hi, Ricky. Welcome to the Wildcast podcast. Thank you so much for coming on board and uh, sharing your stories with us. It is
0: my pleasure, JP. You know, we, we kind of are internet friends. We've never met in person, but. Uh... You know, I started following you on Instagram, you followed me back, and then, you know, it, it, through there, we kind of got to know each other. Uh, I'm looking forward to having a drink with you in, in person one of these days.
1: Yeah, eventually. It's 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 interesting, this this new way of meeting friends. And I've met so many over the last three years who, like you, slid into my DMs. <laughs> you slide into your DMs. It actually means something else altogether sometimes, you know, sliding into your DMs, but... I've actually met so many good people sliding into my DMs or me sliding into their DMs. And, you know, you, you make this connection and you have similar interests. And, and all of these people I meet on Instagram, practically, or Twitter. No? So what have you been up to lately? Well,
0: I've just been doing my uh, corporate work. Um, when I left government, I went to work for First Philippine Holdings. Uh, okay. This is the Lopez uh,
1: power generation.
0: Yes, yes, primarily power generation, but I'm more involved in the uh, industrial estate side um lately. So I've found that interesting. Uh so it's it's a corporate job, but it allows me to get out and meet different kinds of people, so it's it's
1: nice. Yeah, so it's it's a little different from your past studio work where you would you know, you would be reporting from a studio or um when you were working for the government as a spokesperson for for the, the Philippine government, essentially,
0: yeah, it's a very different uh, uh, job. No, I mean, when I was in media, literally, I would have I would be doing stories where people would be literally trying to kill me. Right? Uh, I, mean, I had to I had to the, the studio assigned a bodyguard to me for three months because someone was trying to kill me. I mean, it's really scary and interesting and fun. It's probably the most interesting thing I've ever done. No? Uh, being a reporter. Is that because
1: uh, of a report you did, or or yeah, just a yeah. personal vendetta?
0: <laughs> no, I used to do these stories about corruption, and uh, obviously people would get mad. Uh, so, you know, uh, <laughs> that was interesting. But today it's like it's very you know, um, it's more calm, it's more quiet. Uh, I'm staying out of trouble these days. <laughs> just doing just doing corporate work. It's it's more regular, uh, but it allows me time to to do other things. So that's, that's good. Right. Right. I found that like I've, I've worked a little
1: bit in the corporate world and I found it's easier to clock out, Um, you know, to just like once you're done with your job well, at nine to five, you're done. And then, you know, you can move on to other things that you like to do on the weekend or, <laughs> or others. Unlike maybe working for the government or where you never really clock out. No,
0: no. no I remember, uh, Saturday, mor- Sunday, well, it would be Sunday morning, two o'clock in the morning, uh, early on in the administration uh, of President Aquino. Um, for some reason, I had been monitoring if developments with um, in Egypt. There was something going on in Egypt. And um, I got a message from DFA. It was 11 o'clock in the evening on a Saturday. I had been, you know, out partying. So I forwarded the message with a little bit of comment to the president. And then at one o'clock, he calls me and we have this long discussion. So you're on the clock all the time. So we were talking till maybe two, three in the morning off and on. On a, That was Sunday morning already. So there's no, there's no clock. There's no time clock in government.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, you've had sort of a long career already. You started, um, you worked for the stock exchange in the 90s. Is that correct? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so you work for the stock exchange. You went into media, and then and then you work. You had like a three years essentially in the Aquino administration. How how did that come about? Like going from you know trading stock as a business, and now you're back sort of in the corporate world, though, from stock to media to government down back to the corporate world, sort sort of like a cycle. You know, it wasn't
0: so deliberate. Uh, What was deliberate was when I was in college, uh, I'm I'm dating myself, but I was in college in the late 80s, right? And um, all the rage at that time was the financial markets, investment banking, stock broking, and all that. So after college, after we graduated from college in 1990, bunch of us went into the financial markets and the easiest way to get in was the stock market, right? So we were sort of like, you know, uh it's not nice anymore. You know what they call finance bros, you know, <laughs> sort of right, right. But I'm Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, a sort of arrogant, uh know it all, you know, types of dudes, right? Anyway, we weren't it wasn't that back in back in those days. And I just wanted to, you know, make a lot of money really quickly. And the markets are very volatile. It would go up and down. I would have months where I'd make so much money, more than I'd ever seen, and then there would be months where I would lose everything. So it was like, you know, it was really volatile. And and there was the Asian crisis that killed it. A lot of people got shaken out of the industry, you know, uh, because a lot of the houses closed down. And I found myself doing commentary on on the economy in ANC and. uh the host at the time was Koho al who's now uh, the Mahati Business Club uh, executive director. And he left to do a job in, in, uh, in Bloomberg, if I'm not mistaken. And they asked me if I wanted to take over the job and I was enjoying it. Uh, so I did it. And uh, I was primarily reporting on the markets and the economy. But one day uh, there was a news, breaking news from Malaysia where uh, Anwar Ibrahim, the deputy prime minister was arrested and they were scrambling to get background. I just happened to have read up on it because I was kind of a political geek. So without any notes, I kind of annotated the story. And they said, well, you can do politics. For and so, so they started having me report on politics. And, you know, I just enjoyed it so much. I met so many interesting people. Um, I got I, I liked being able to interpret and tell stories to my audience about what was going on to explain why this person was doing that and uh, it was just very interesting and uh, from there I got to know people like uh, Butch Abad, uh, Frank Drillon, uh Joe DiVenecia, people from all all parts of the political spectrum and uh, I got to know Noy Noy Aquino when he was a congressman I would interview him. So
1: you weren't president. personal friends with the president, the former president?
0: No, not in the beginning but, but you know um, after interviewing him a few times, he's a friendly guy, So, you know, and, and so we would we started to get to know each other socially, you know, hanging around a little bit. And then that brought me into the circle of Sina Butch, Sina Frank, Sina Mar. Uh, so they they all became kind of friends of mine. And uh when when Noy became president in 2010, he asked me to join the cabinet. And I'm like, hmm, I didn't really plan to do this, but what the hell, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't that you know, it wasn't that deliberate. I, I left the market because the the markets had imploded. I was looking for something else to do. I stumbled into this, stumbled into that, and um, so it wasn't that deliberate. But you know, what I was looking for was something new all the time, something exciting, and uh, sometimes I got more than what I asked for. But you know, it's been a it's been a fun journey that hasn't been so deliberate. And when I left government, you know, JP, I felt so burned out. It's it's a 24-7 job. And,
1: I can imagine.
0: And high pressure. Uh, being the guy who's who's the communication strategist, uh, I just felt burned out at the end of 2013. So I wanted to go back to a corporate world where things were quiet and I sort of hibernated. And I've been hibernating since then. So uh, that's where it it today.
1: <laughs> I've been actually looking for sort of interviews of you. And you actually don't give so many interviews um, after you left the government. No,
0: I, I really tried to keep a low profile. Um, like I said, I was burned out. I just wanted to sort of hibernate and just do work that wasn't going to attract attention and all that. So uh, that's what I've been doing for most of the last several years.
1: So it's really interesting, no? Parang all of these opportunities just sort of fall in your lap just based on... Um, you know things, people you meet, all of these experiences you have, sort of build up towards like working for the government, coming back to first gen at some at some point. So so it's really it builds on each other basically. Yes, and you know
0: I think now that I think about it, what what the common denominator was was that all these interesting people that I have met. You know, you you meet someone and they're interesting. And you find them engaging, and you're curious to know more about them. And in the course of that, you get to know them; they get to know you, and you develop a little bit of a relationship or of a bond. And uh, that's kind of what led me to where where I where I've been. It wasn't a deliberate sort of effort to I want to be in politics, or you know, <laughs> it wasn't anything like that.
1: Yeah. So I was looking through a lot of your past interviews, you no, know, and, and a lot has changed. A lot has changed since you started in the media in the 2000s to to today, 2022. Um, You mentioned in a talk, I think it was on Rappler many years ago, about sort of the power of social media. I think it was 2012 or something like that. And you were talking about the power of social media and harnessing it as, as a way to communicate to the population essentially you were talking as the spokesperson of the of the government and you were you were talking about it as this great force to be able to go directly with your message without um, what's it a media filter I think is what you called it and how do you think that's that's sort of changed hasn't it since 2012 and 2022 Parang at the time I remember I I I talked to Maria Ressa and Rappler was built on social media. Parang, that was the foundation it was built on. Um, but now Rapplers being basically thrown down <laughs> by social media. So how, how do you think about this whole decade of change? I,
0: I think you know the media social media had so much potential. When I gave that interview as you as you cite, it, it it had the power for us to be able to communicate directly with the public, as long as you know how to use it, right? Uh, so we set up the official gazette online. We were the first administration to do that. These official records that that uh, require publication, we were the first to make it online, and um, and that's something that that me and my team are proud of. Uh, and, and we were, be- you know, this was this was before social media had become really weaponized. And we were learning how to bypass the media filter and communicate directly. But but we never, I, at that time, I never imagined how powerful a, a weapon social media could be. Today, you know, society is crumbling because there's no such thing as a consensus anymore, right? You can believe what you want. Uh, people always had different opinions, right? But they always agreed on the facts. Today you don't have to agree on the facts. There are people online who think the earth is flat. And there's a bunch of them in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's so much disinformation out there. It's it's destroyed trust in people, trust in each other as a community. It's destroyed consensus. It's so difficult for anybody in power uh to 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 make uh, to create consensus about something that you want to do. Um having said that though, I have to say that um other people have managed to use it to create consensus. Uh, people, who... Yeah, I mean,
1: the Duterte government e- effectively created consensus in, to their projects. That's right.
0: Uh, whatever your political leanings are, you have to admit that, that President Duterte uh, had public support for everything he did right up until the end. And he remains very popular. If I am not mistaken, he is the most popular ex-president um, of the post-EDSA era. I mean, one year after stepping down from office, less than a year, most of these presidents, uh, from Noy to President Arroyo to President Ramos, didn't have very high ratings. By that time they stepped down, people had gotten pretty tired of them and were looking for change. But in the case of President Duterte, he remained popular with the public. And uh, you cannot uh, ignore the fact that his successor, President Bongbong Marcos, is the first post-EDSA president to have won a majority of the vote. Most people won pluralities uh, I think I think President Noy won 39 40 percent The they won a little over 40 percent Ramos won 23 percent with 23 percent of the vote but Bongo Marcus got over 51 percent so I, I take that back there are people who know how to use social media to create consensus it's just not it's just not us right, right.
1: <laughs> and, and I think maybe is there a way to weaponize it? I mean, I suppose there is a way, no? Because they have weaponized it for their agenda. How the, how do we, or how does the opposition, for instance, weaponize it for their agenda?
0: Well, the playbook is there, right? If they're willing to use it, um, you 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 play on people's emotions. Um, you you try to gain affinity with with voters rather than than. Um, Create transactional relationships. This is the thing, um, JP. That I think need, people need to learn. Um, when when you run for office and you're saying, "I did this, I did this, I did that." If you let me, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do that. You're actually proposing a transaction to people. If you Ito ang ko para sa At para na kaya It's a transaction, right? So and that's the conventional way that people used to run for office especially people on the Liberal Party side. They would tend to offer people transaction. And and voters will go for that, they'll go for that, but they'll go for it in an intellectual way. Okay, I'm gonna vote for this guy because uh, maybe he's gonna give me a tax cut. It's very intellectual. But I think the most compelling kind of uh, use of social media to campaign is to create affinity. I've always said this, to create affinity, Rodrigo Duterte didn't talk a lot about policy. In fact, some of his policy pronouncements on the campaign trail were patently ridiculous. Going on a jet ski to the to the Spratly Islands, right? Nobody believed that, but but they voted for him. Why? Not because he was proposing a transaction, but he was he was showing, in his way, empathy for people. He was not creating an intellectual uh, transaction. He was creating an emotional bond. And when you create an emotional bond with the voter. It doesn't really matter what your policies are. It doesn't really matter what you've done or what you're going to do, but people will just go with you. Uh, parang, that's true. So, I'm not pag to Filipinos vote for family. Yeah, and Filipinos that's what they
1: so People they know.
0: JP, yes, but I would not say that it's just Filipinos. I think you look anywhere uh, around the world and, and uh, people vote that way. Uh, the United States. Right, where I grew up. Who would want to vote for Trump? Right? Based on the policy. Right? The, corporations, the corporations would. But I mean he had he created he 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 fed on on grievance. And he used that and used social media to weaponize that grievance and 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 um use it for his advantages. And and it's it's creating an emotional bond. And that's what uh a President Duterte has managed to do. And I think President Marcos has managed to do, and and um, to some extent, I think President Aquino did that in the beginning. But you know, uh, that's not how they. That's not how a lot of conventional politicians think. They think if you vote for me, I'll do this, and that should be a good enough proposition. But it's not like that, anymore. and it hasn't been that way for some time. And so- is that simply because
1: of social media, or is it um, we've
0: changed? Culturally, completely? I think it's largely because of social media. Social media broke through the filters, right? Before, if you wanted to get your news, you'd get it from ABS cbn GMA7, and then they would present the news from a certain perspective. I would okay. see it's largely from a center left, slightly populist perspective that they would present the news. But um, today, there's no, there's no, and, and because that was what most people were getting, that perspective, it was easier to build a consensus about what was wrong and right because the gatekeepers were kind of in a way determining what your opinion should be. Today, there's no filter. There's no central filter. You go to like-minded people and you think the same thing and then you enter your echo chamber and you don't have to listen to other points of view. So it's not... It
1: really shuts everything out.
0: Yes, yes. If you're not careful and if if you're not conscious of it, you're only going to get views and opinions that reinforce your own biases so it becomes harder to build consensus and it's not a cultural thing i think it's largely social media that has that has created that
1: and i think this is the same the world over no uh, that uh, social media has created these bubbles that reinforce our own beliefs whether it's being a flat earther you don't believe in climate change or all of you know trump or whatever no
0: Yeah, what we've done is we've created a permission structure for any view that we want. Right? But
1: But there must be, there must be like a topic that appeals to all Filipinos, whether you're on, let's say, the Marco side or the Liberal Party side. There are certain topics that, let's say, jobs, your children, home, I and mean, those are things that appeal to all Filipinos. And, and do you think using these topics would be good for any politician running for public office? Or is it is it always has does it always have to be these emotionally charged things that that will get you to vote?
0: I think today it has to be emotionally charged. You cannot present uh, a, a, an intellectual straightforward transaction anymore and win an election you can in rare cases but the guy running on on emotion is going to beat you almost every single time and and when you say things that we all hold in common the smart politician will understand that they'll understand that you want safety and security for your family you want to be able to look forward to a better future right these are universal things but how can you how can you tap that in a way that makes people associate it with you in a way that's not transactional, right? I can always say, ah, oh, I'm going to create a million jobs, right? And everybody hears that from politicians. But you're proposing a transaction. Whereas if you say, alam, mo, alam ko yung anak mo na mag-graduate next year, pa siya maghanap na trabaho dahil sa lagay na ekonomiya. Gagawan natin ng paraan yan para yung anak mo may mahanap na trabaho. It's the same aspiration, right? But on one hand, it's presented in a very personal way. On the other hand, it's presented in a very abstract, sort of um, detached way. I mean, what appeals more? So right? it's sort of like looking at,
1: for instance, during the last elections, Lenny's very detailed agenda versus Marcos saying, "Gagawin kung twenty pesos yung bigas." Because, I mean, Lenny's agenda was as detailed as any politician could come up with. You know, very technocratic. Um, if if you were a person that read through it, you're an academician or whatever, you, you'd you say, this is the better job applicant. Right? This is how you judge who you want to be running the country. And then someone comes to you and says, you're hungry. I'm going to give you 20 pesos rice.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um you it, it was who was creating an emotional bond? You know, I think um towards the end, Lenny was starting to do that and her numbers were starting to creep up. But you have to understand that the Marcoses, and I know the Marcoses personally. Um I've known them for years. They have been they have been working on on this for for at least 10 years. I remember Mrs. Marcos telling me once that. She felt that, again, this is their point of view, JP, so uh, to, your, to your listeners, um, this is, I'm, I'm trying to convey what they were saying, what they felt. And she told me once that the, the stain that was created by the way that, that Ferdinand Marcos was removed um, has to be corrected. And it has to be, and people have to, you know, the demonization of the Marcoses has to be corrected. And they always felt that. And and so they've been. It's been a project that they've they've undertaken over decades for people to mm-hmm. slowly see their point of view, uh, which was very different from what the consensus point of view was in pre-internet Philippines. Post-Ensa, there was this general uh, consensus, right, that Marcos was bad, democracy was good, and they've spent the last decade at least trying to present their point of view, and it's gone many times below the radar, but very effective use of social media and 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 you can see that that in in the last election all of that effort all that disciplined messaging over years worked and um so so Bong was presenting in effect an emotional argument right and, and 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 lenny's messaging uh initially was more sort of transactional so
1: a very technocratic Way of presenting.
0: Yes. And I guess if we were all sort of uh, in the US and we were living in the, the coasts like New York or California, we probably would have voted for her. But, but Filipinos aren't East Coast liberals. They're not. They're very different culturally. And, and
1: if you. It's such a big country, you know, so, so diverse.
0: Yeah. And if you don't understand the voter and, and go to the voter where he's at and understand his context, then you're not going to get his vote um and and presenting a bill of goods and saying i'm going to accomplish the following really is not enough these days so talking
1: about the marcoses you no know, you mentioned you know them personally and you talk about their restoration project you no know? um do you think this 6 years is really meant i mean the whole project obviously is meant to change their image to return the image of what they see themselves as, you know, uh, how they've seen themselves as, I don't know, maybe they, they think they did something wrong, but then it was too much. Parang too much yung, yung judgment sa kanila. Um, so, do you think that the, this presidency of Bongbong uh, Bong Marcos is essentially? to clean up their name do you think it's a chance for them to prove the country wrong like they'll do things right they won't be corrupt they you, they'll they'll do things to restore the greatness of the philippines uh, to what the dream was essentially of a marcos presidency or do you think they'll fall back on the old ways
0: uh that's it's hard to make a prediction i think the fact that mong bon marcos won by such an overwhelming majority, already shows me that their project has succeeded. The view that people, those of us who were at EDSA in 86, that view is no longer the consensus view um, for one reason or another. And so in a way they've already succeeded just by Bong being president, that's already happened. Now he has he has a blank check, right? He The biggest majority uh, of any post-EDSA president uh the the Senate was all his candidates, except for risa monteros uh the l g u s are all are all there. He has power to do anything he wants, and there are signs that that maybe he's trying to do something positive i mean look at the people he's yeah look at the people he's appointed to the economic team. These are basically academics technocrats they're not politicians. And and
1: but the economic team hardly changes admin to admin. It's always the same people. Just
0: it's just always the same people. Of, and, change, change. Yes, and it's acceptable to. Here is the important part. It's acceptable to the business community and the international markets. And so, in 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 appointing those people, he has signaled a, a level of normality that maybe you were expecting from him. Uh, because people were so scared, right? That that what would he do? Uh, and and he's saying, no, guys, look, listen, listen, my, look at my appointments. These are credible people. I, I know many of the people he appointed, and I can vouch for them on the economic team. These are serious, uh, thoughtful people who who uh, are able to to come up with policies. Um, so it's it's it, on one hand that makes me a little less nervous about it, right? Because he seems to be trying to to set things right economically. He knows that there's going to be a problem. His sauna, I remember when he talked about uh, education, remember that was an issue during the campaign, their their education is becoming sort of uh, re-education as it were. But he said, I'm not going to talk about those things. What I mean by education is STEM, science, math, and all that, right? So he tried to avoid the kind of, um, yes, the kind of divisive rhetoric that, that people on the other side would have expected. But so I don't know. He seems to be trying to, I, I, and, you know, I have I, I cannot speak for them because I have not spoken to them in years. Um, but he seems to be trying to, to set things on a different path. And he, in a way, contrasted himself with Duterte with in the sense that um, you know, nothing divisive in the speech. Um, and then you have, a, you have a team that's accepted by, by everybody. I'm not so sure about the political side. There are political appointments that, that maybe we'll have an issue with, but on the economic team, I think, I think it's a pretty straightforward team. So I don't know, it's too early to tell. And, and what I've learned is, you know, you may have your preconceived notions, but in the end, what, we'll, what they'll do is what we'll need to judge them by. So and, and, and you know, even though I didn't vote for him, I have to. I have no choice. Yet. The 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 overwhelming majority of people voted for him, and they put their trust in him. And so it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's for for us to not give him the same benefit of the doubt. You, we may have our doubts internally, personally, but but as a citizen, what can you do, right? unless you're saying that you're smarter and better and no better than than the majority. And it's sometimes easy to to think that, right, JP? But, but I think we need to approach this with some humility that maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe what we don't agree with might actually have a point. So that's where I'm at right now. I mean, you know where I've come from politically, right? But, but uh, what can you do? Right. Uh, We, we, we went to the marketplace of ideas. We sold our platforms and policies and they didn't buy ours. So let's
1: see how it goes. So you talk about this as someone who's starting to accept essentially this this whole new world, new politics that we live in, which started in 2016, I would say, the new, the new politics of the Philippines. And as someone from the Aquino administration who I saw, I remember... During the campaign, you were actually campaigning for Binai. I saw you post about Binay, talking about him, and we know how the Aquino administration very, very much sort of made him the enemy uh, during during those six years. How how did you come about this change, or has that always been something that you've you've had uh, during the time that you were working for the past administration?
0: No, when I was in media um and in in early days in government, I had a very definite view of what I thought was right and wrong and you know, I always felt that I find it maybe it's maybe people sound people find it arrogant, but we always thought you know this is the right thing to do, we have to do it, and if you don 't agree with it you're wrong and you know and I realized when I got into government that the world is very different. It's not black and white. There's shades of gray. And someone like Binay, who from the outside was easy to say bad things about, he realized that this guy has paid his dues politically. I mean, let's let's put it this way. During the Duterte administration, uh, remember that, that George b started as a human rights lawyer, right? And, yeah. and when he became mayor of Makati, he became the political kingpin of Makati, and, and still is to this day. But... When, when Duterte became president, and it happens in politics, everybody just sort of left the Liberal Party and, and signed up with Duterte. They basically abandoned everything that that uh, we stood for and joined the, the Duterte administration. And that's politics. And I don't begrudge anyone the choices they make. I'm not in their shoes yet. But, but George binay went back to his human rights lawyer roots and he was—he wasn't always making noise. But if you notice the public statements that Jojo and his daughters made during the time of Duterte, they were very consistent with that. They're very consistent with the human rights advocacy. So say what you will about his governance, say what you will about the allegations of corruption, but there was something that they stood for, and that that they didn't do the easy thing, which was sign up with Duterte. They they kept the distance. They, they, so, so for me, they get points for that. And, and just before uh, this campaign, uh, the VP and I had a long conversation on the phone, which was arranged by a mutual friend. And, um, you know, we, we said the past is the past. And so I said, well, yes. And I, I told him that I respected what his position was. And so that's why I posted that. And GP. people are like what? What's what that all about? I said the man deserves the man deserves to be in the Senate because because you judge the man by his whole public life and not by one or two incidents that may have happened to him uh, or, or things that he did that you don't like. And and you know, some maybe I'm in my older age. I'm, I'm a lot less judgmental about what people do. I don't always agree with what people do. And, and I'll always have my own idea of what's right, but I'm not as quick to say, ah, gano or ah, Ah, uh, parang, I try to understand what makes them make those decisions. And, there, and and you look at people in a more kind and understanding way. There are people who you won't because they're just plain, you know, they just cross all the lines and you can't, right? Uh, but there are other people whose lives, when you look at them, are a lot more nuanced than what you initially thought. So I guess I'm humbler about those things. So
1: now in your older age, as you say, you seem to be more flexible about working with certain people, certain entities, um, which probably wouldn't have occurred when you were in the Aquino administration or when you were in the media. Would you Do you think if, for instance, the Marcos government Approached you for a position? Would you be willing to work with them?
0: I uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, like I said, I've met them all over the years, and they've all been very kind to me, especially Imelda Marcos, Mrs. Marcos. Um, uh, but but I don't know. Politically, we're just so I don't. First of all, I don't think they'd ever ask me, and, and I don't know if I want to go back in the government at this point. So.
1: Yeah, the stress of all of that.
0: Yeah, I'm kinda of dodging your question, you notice <laughs> But you know, you you you
1: are in that world. And it's a small world, you have to admit, you know, the, the that world that politicians in Manila live in. The 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 society, the Basically, they're friends. Everybody's related. Even the people are on both sides of the fence. Diba? <laughs> Parang there's, there's some relation there. There's some way to get in touch with you. Get in touch with someone on the other side of the fence. I mean, the arenetas are related to the Marcoses, diba? Parang it and and you know, Rojas and then the Marcoses. So yeah. So there is that way to communicate. More related, uh, yeah, diba? so it's it's interesting to me because. Eh, I'm a lot younger than you, obviously. And, a lot, man. And, <laughs> and, and really, I'm I'm still at the point where I don't know how to be that flexible. You know, there's still that point where uh, this person is not on my good side. I'm not going to work with them. Uh, but then sometimes you really have to cross the line. but right? You have to, like you said, politics isn't, black and white there's a lot of gray areas you have to work with them Um, you work with politicians to get your agenda done so whatever side of the fence they are and I think you're at the point where essentially the agenda is more important than the
0: personality I don't have to like you to be able to work with you on the other hand I can like you but I also don't need to um, agree with your agenda
1: I would like to invite all of you to help support the production of the Wildcast Podcast by buying us a coffee. All you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Buy us two coffees, three, five, ten. All of those coffees will keep us caffeinated and keep us going, creating this content, talking to all of these amazing individuals and sharing their stories with all of you. So, go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and buy us a coffee. Um, you know, talking about this new flexibility that you've found, I, I took a screenshot of this post you had on your Instagram. It says, sometimes in life, you should stick to your wor- worldview, defend it against criticism, But sometimes the world is genuinely different than it was before. At those moments, the crucial skills are the ones nobody teaches you. How to reorganize your mind to see with new eyes. So maybe you can expound on this little post of yours on Instagram. And we're basically talking about that. We need to start seeing the world with new eyes because it's different. It's been different. Since the Aquino administration, it's it's a very different world right now.
0: Yeah, it is, and and um, if you want to live in it without going crazy, you have to accept certain things. Um, the consensus of the Filipino public today is not the same as it was in 1986, and people like me who grew up uh, around Hensa, who were oriented around that, um, it the country's not the same anymore. And um, people are no longer looking at the Western model, which is what we always did by default, is try to copy America, you know, in terms of their systems and everything. Uh, And and I think the consensus in the country, whether it's articulated or not, is no, no, that's not been working for, for a lot of us. And so why do you think people are more... They don't have a problem with someone who's more authoritarian, right? Um, Duterte um, was promised to be and did did was a, a, in his own way an authoritarian. Um, it's too early to make a judgment of whether Bono Marcos will be an authoritarian, but but clearly that was kind of the expectation of some people who who voted for him and who voted against him. And so the idea that you're going to wield power. Uh, in a, in a authoritarian way, is no longer something that people are wary of. In fact, I think people actually prefer that. It's just that in 86, that wasn't the case. We all wanted, you know, check and balance, democracy. And and today, I think there's a sense among many that, that maybe that hasn't worked out so well in general. There have been uh, governments, there have been gains. You can't deny that. Um, but, and most of those gains, I think, benefited people like us, JB, people who are relatively well-off or relatively well-educated, who have an understanding of the global uh, situation. And we certainly benefited from, from, from that. But what about people who, who were less educated, who, who, uh, who were poor to begin with, whose grandfathers were poor? Do they feel that they benefited from it? There may be data that shows that they have, but that's not how they feel. So, so insisting that, that the way forward is to go back to what we thought was working back when, uh, back in the 90s. Um, maybe that's something that I'm struggling with. Maybe that's not the case anymore. Not to say that there weren't gains. I think, you know, I worked for Noy Neokino. I will be proud to say that, and I will always be proud. And I think Fidel Ramos, the recently departed president, did a great job. And he, th- those two presidents helped a lot of poor people improve their lives. But but I'm not sure if a lot of poor people realized that or appreciated or thought it was enough. And so now they're looking for something different. You could have said that Duterte was an anomaly. And, you know, it was just sort of a... But, but they voted for the same essential model, which is a strong leader who's, you know, they're not really so concerned about what we were concerned about then. So it is a very different world. And we need to accept it and we need to find a way to function within it do you think that as Filipinos
1: you know because I I have seen quite literally at least here where I live in the Cordillera a lot of people here went from not grinding poverty but being essentially farmers in in the their parents generation in the last 10 years I've seen it like literally being subsistence farmers to their kids, traveling to Hong Kong and, and, and having their own businesses. And there's really so much sort of prosperity that happened in the last 10 years. It's amazing. Like I have been to some of these remote areas where the first time I went to their house, I was invited into their house. They had no electricity. They were cooking with fire. Uh, you know, it's a, Yero house in the middle of the mountains, and now they have like SUVs. Their their kids ha- own like a travel company. They're they're educated. Some of them are traveling abroad, and and this is just ten years. So so I'm pretty amazed at how Filipinos think that the Aquino administration and and to some extent the Duterte administration benefited all of them they were essentially poor one generation ago 10 years ago and now they are middle class do you think being in the middle class now gives you sort of a new lens where you need to ask for something completely different from what you were asking for 10 years ago which is why there's so much sort of anger at the government, whether it's Aquino or Mel. Not to so much extent the Duterte government, but parang, uh, parang there's anger in the government that they're not doing anything, and yet in ten years their lives have completely changed.
0: Yeah, I think I think as you as you become more prosperous and more educated, your your expectations change. You know, if you're dirt poor and and you're you're begging in the streets, Masaya ka na kay today. You don't even think about whether you'll tomorrow. But when you've gotten used to having three square meals a day and sleeping under shelter, your aspirations also evolve, right? So, so once you've achieved that, um, then you move on to the next aspiration as as you get higher and higher up the chain. So, um, you know, before, now you have a house and you, you commute to work, right? So next, your your children will will say, why don't we have a car? So, so in a way, as you progress, your wants and needs also progress, and mm-hmm. and I think governments need to be able to. It's great that you brought them into into prosperity, into the middle class, but now their needs changing. You have to keep you know, the job of government is to keep that coming, and mm-hmm. and uh, I guess to some extent. And we go back to social media. Those expectations are somehow also managed by social media. So maybe you're putting too much weight on one aspect of things and you're kind of forgetting some of the others. So your expectations change. But also, your expectations are somehow, somewhat influenced by the, the media that you consume. So now we talk
1: about the media again. No, I have to admit, I hardly watch traditional media these days. Um, I, I don't own a TV that's connected to cable. I, I have a TV, but I just like connect my computer to it to watch Netflix. But uh essentially I've not watched traditional news in a long time. Like every so often I'll I'll come up on some YouTube um news bit, but then I don't watch traditional news in the way I used to consume it, like at 6 p.m. every day, you know, you watch the news. Um, how relevant are news agencies now with 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 the social media landscape? So, where do you get
0: your news? I'm curious.
1: Um I I go to the websites, like you know, like I go to New York Times or the Enquirer or Rappler. Um but then I also consume it just by seeing things on my feed on on, on social media, you know, like you, you see things that pop up based on the algorithm um so whatever the algorithm shows me that's what comes out no so but i don't go to a newspaper and read the newspaper from the front to the back essentially but sometimes i actually i found i enjoy that there's like a little bit of nostalgia to picking up a newspaper and just seeing it spread out in front of you the news no Uh, but now you you just get bits and pieces yeah, of the news. Yeah,
0: I think we're all like that now, JP. I haven't read a physical newspaper in years. Uh, I don't go to conventional news sites uh, the way I used to. I don't watch uh, TV news anymore, and so I think, uh, to your point, the the importance and the impact of that has diminished. And in fact, what I think has hurt the media is that. Because it saw social media as faster competition, uh, and 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 um, the business model has always been clicks, right? Even even in news, it's clicks. And what clicks more yeah. is sensational, headline grabbing, less more that than the substantive. So so news, as we used to know it, has kind of morphed into a kind of a social media kind of thing where it's more sensational, it's maybe there's more value given to quick report, factual accuracy. Um, But I think there is still a role for traditional news because they're still in a way gatekeepers. Um, The people who make opinions, the people who, who make policy, they still look at that and that's the filter that they see. So in a way, it, influence, it still influences a certain segment of people. But it's no longer the consensus builder that it used to be. It no longer determines what the public view on something is. Because now there's many, many views. And and the power has diminished in that Great. sense. But they still are... I mean, if you want to know if something is true, JP, you see it in your feed, you want to know what's tr- if it's true, and you're not sure, Where where do you go?
1: I guess the news sites that that would be the places to, to go to no?
0: you'd still check with, you'd still check the inquirer you'd still check uh, hopefully ABS-CBN news you know I mean you still want to check because for those of us who are who are concerned about that accuracy you, you that's still kind of where you check to make sure it's right like if you see something in your feed oh it is, it's is—it's in the New York Times oh man it's in the Times you know what I mean
1: but you know what I've actually enjoyed over the last like four years, it's more long form um, reporting. Uh, hindi na yung yung parang breaking news and all of these things, but more of the really long form, you know, like you it takes you like 10 to 15 minutes to actually read through the whole piece rather than you know it just pops up on your screen and you read the whole thing in 10 seconds. So, um, I think. For me, that's where a lot of news sites should go because I would pay for that. Like, a lot of news sites are moving to a paid model, no? And and I wouldn't pay for, like, news bits. I would pay for the long-form types of reporting, really in-depth, better photography, better journalism, essentially.
0: Do you think you're the exception or do you see that as a trend uh, of people who have been so saturated by quick news bites and all of that, that they're looking for something more substantive?
1: Personally, I think it's a trend. Um, I know several people in my circles who would pay. I wouldn't say it's like for the mass market, but then for, I guess, for news sites, um, like, you know, I would pay for The Economist. I would pay for for The New York Times, better, you know, better reporting, sort of long form, you um, journalism where you know the media organization is actually spending money to put this story together, as opposed to just sending some stringer and then getting the report in and then put, posting it online. No?
0: Yeah, I think, I think there's a market for that. And I think it's big enough to support uh, the New York Times, for example. It's very profitable. I think if the Inquirer put up a paywall, which I think they're really scared to do. But if they did, I think you'd get a lot of people complaining about it, but then slowly, I think people would sign up. I would sign up for a paid service by, by a news organization like the Enquirer. Right? Um, uh, like, for instance,
1: PCIJ, I think, merging with the Enquirer, <laughs> coming with some better better stories might be something, something there, you know? There's something for the market. But
0: I think it's kind of a niche thing, eh? you know? I mean, uh, you cited The Economist. That's a very niche publication, right?
1: That's true, yeah, yeah.
0: And the global market is big enough for that. But I think if you're, the, the problem also is, media has become nothing more than another business with a bottom line. And, it, and they call themselves content providers rather than news uh, reporting. And so they're, they're really looking at, if if you're a news organization, and your bottom line is to maximize your profit, you're not gonna go for that paywall type of thing. You're gonna go for the same kind of sensational, uh, tabloidy stuff that, that sells. Um, and and but but yeah, there's a niche, and I think I think you're you're describing a niche. Hopefully, a, a niche that is. I think it's strong enough to to support some uh, business models that are like that, the longer form, more thoughtful type of thing.
1: I suppose. Yeah. Um, maybe some final questions here. No, how do you think we? How do you see the Philippines in the next six years? Like, how do you see the media landscape? How do you see the cultural landscape of this country evolving in the next six years? Who will, who is the Filipino in twenty twenty eight?
0: I think that will be determined a lot by um, whether President Marcos is successful or not. If he is not successful, then people will offer an alternative. Uh, to that, which I suppose will be back to the old democratic model. I hope we're not going to be doing the same narratives, but I'm afraid that we will. If Marcos fails, then you're going to have someone offering themselves up as as the alternative the way Cory Aquino did to, to his father, and then you're going to end up with that whole Western model system that maybe, I don't know. On the other hand, if if he succeeds, then I think you're going to see more openness to so kind of a Southeast Asian model of governance, where you have strong, uh, almost authoritarian types of governance that
1: bring... So very much like Mahathir and Singapore, you know, like Yew uh, and all of these. Or even
0: Thailand. Let's, let's be more modest. I mean, those are exceptional. But, but like Thailand. Thailand is largely, it's kind of messy like the Philippines. I've been there a right? couple of I'm, times. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've been there. And they, they sometimes seem like a democracy, but they're not. They're really ruled by authoritarian governments. But they're delivering outcomes that are acceptable to a majority of the people, and so they're willing to they're willing to set aside demands for certain liberties, as long as certain economic outcomes are provided uh, broadly.
1: That's so in a similar way to China, I would say. Like you know, they they have a very strict government, but then the government does deliver for their country. Uh, if you think about it, China is the only country in the world that's taken five hundred million people out of poverty. That's five times the population of the Philippines. You know, essentially, they've they've gotten five Philippines out of poverty <laughs> in in the in the time that they've been in power.
0: Yes, and see, the guys like you and me, maybe we will ask at what cost? What cost? Right? Uh, clearly, there was an outcome that was positive for the nation. But what was the cost? Some people in the past would say it's not worth the cost. But I think moving forward, more people in this country will say, uh, as long as those outcomes are positive and the cost isn't that high, we're willing to try that. Well, let's roll the dice with a more Southeast Asian model where you have a strong, almost authoritarian government that delivers. Uh, and, and in exchange, we will maybe not complain so much about uh, about taxes, about the traffic, keep us safe. Um, and we, we maybe we'll be a little less vocal about dissent. I think that's the that's where we're headed. Um, and again, if if President Marcos delivers, then I think that will solidify. That's what people were saying when they voted for Duterte, right? Okay, yeah. I'll sacrifice. I won't criticize. Basta may mga outcomes. Um, I don't think he delivered on the outcomes, but I think people are giving President Marcos a chance to deliver those. If he does, then I think that's where we're going to go. If he doesn't, then, I don't know, we're going to end up uh, wandering around again, maybe looking to the West and trying to do it in a better way than before. Either way, um, we'll get through it. (laughs) We'll get through it.
1: One last question. One last question here. Um, In the Philippines, in my view, in my view, there's only really been two political parties. The left, which is, you know, the the really ultra left and and everyone else. But there's really not the Liberal Party sort of skirts the in-between. But then if you look at it, the left's the only one that's actually stayed where they are for the last 30 to 40 years. Do you think the Philippines would benefit from like a socialist um government? Let's say like Peru or Venezuela and all of these other countries?
0: I would think that a socialist government that is not well. I think the guys, uh, my friends, uh, uh, Neri Cominarez and his his people. Uh, who, by the way, I I love Neri, but but I I don't think their model will work here. Um, you need to have you need to have the markets functioning. You need you need to you need to have the markets create resources. And then the government needs to take those resources and find a way to distribute them more evenly. But you still need that engine of, of capitalism. You still need that engine of growth, of the profit motive. Because if you don't make a profit, there's nothing to siphon off and give to the less fortunate or to, to make a more balanced society. So uh, I, don't think, I think we will benefit from a socialist government, but not a communist government. There's a, yeah, that, a distinction.
1: There is a distinction there.
0: And when I say socialist, I'm really talking about, again, here we go looking at Western models, right, JP? But something like a Sweden where where there's... The Nordic countries. Yeah, there's a high uh, incremental tax rate. And that, that those taxes go to healthcare, education, which I think everybody should have, whether you're rich or poor, you should have an access to education. If you get sick, you should be able to uh, get yourself treated without ruining your financial standing and, and going bankrupt those are basic things and in any society that can provide that i think is doing the right thing and and really uh, it's a bad word in some circles but that's that's kind of a socialist model in a sense that the markets work the markets work but but what they create is distributed more fairly in a way actually it's it's interesting going back to bina you
1: know i have i was having this discussion with a friend that just during the election, I realized that the way we've been looking at B-Nice model, it's actually very socialist. But you know? he's <laughs> getting all his money from the corporations in Makati and giving it all away to the Makati citizens through, you know, cash, cakes, shoes, all of these things. Medicare—it's a very socialist way, you know, of thinking. Of it things.
0: is. It is, and and that's the other thing you gotta say about the guy, right? Um, he has stayed true to what he what his uh, beliefs are in that way, right? Um, he, he's, you know, if you're, if you're a corporation in Mahati, the taxes are are super high. And they all complain about taxes, but but the public, in a way, benefits from it. I mean, maybe you can say they benefit more, but but they should benefit more. But but there are benefits that are very clearly seen by the public. Yeah, That's why. I mean, you know, uh, birthday
1: cakes and Medicare, all of these things, which some things you get only in Makati.
0: Yeah, even even uh, free movies, right?
1: Yeah, free movies, I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely.
0: Yeah, people notice that. It may not be substantive, but it, it, people notice yeah. it.
1: it. It feels like you get a cut. Parang yun yon, ba? Parang, you get a cut of the riches of this wealthy city.
0: Yes, and, 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 and because they don't interfere too much and there's just too much incentive for corporations not to be here, they'll take it. They'll, they'll live with it, right? Uh, you're right. You know, that is a, now that you mention it, that's kind of a little socialist, uh, Philippine version of a socialist state. Isn't it? I was talking to some friends who are very anti
1: Binay. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm turning my head around around Binay because what during the pandemic, we were giving away money. We were giving away money to people through the Ayuda. And if you think about it, Binay has been doing this his whole career. He's been giving away money, as you know, ayuda, death, something or health, healthcare, and all of these things they've been getting in Makati for the last three decades. But now, during the pandemic, it's been okay to be giving money away. There's been this, there's been this sort of. A lot of Filipinos have been against giving free money away, right? There's 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 been. That's my taxes why are you giving it to poor people Megan <laughs> nonva but but then the pandemic has actually changed that way of thinking
0: yeah, and i think for the for the better we need to we you know those of us who have the have had the luck to be able to to make more than we actually need it's it's only right that that opportunities are i'm not saying you know, spend for the, give my money away, all my money away to some poor dude, right? But I think everybody needs to be able to to get medicine when they're sick and, and education for their kids. Beyond that, it's up to you, right? But I think society owes you that. Okay, so
1: thank you so much, Ricky. This is such a fun hour chatting with you. You know, There's so many things we've talked about. I'm sure there's so much more. And I think we can probably do a part two or part three of this uh, conversation. Sana sana over tequila (laughs) at some point
0: when I'm in Manila. You had me at tequila, my friend. I am going, you come over, we have a drink. I'm going to show you some of the best tequilas ever produced. We'll have that.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. So any last thoughts, any last words for the listeners of the podcast?
0: Tequila is life.
1: All right, there you go, guys. Ricky Karandang, his thoughts about politics, the Philippines, and tequila. So I really hope we'll see each other soon and have some of that tequila.
0: Looking forward to that, JP. Thank you for having me. And thank you to your audience for patiently listening to all these rants and raves.
1: And there we go. That was the conversation we just had with Ricky Karandang. What did you think? Uh, did that conversation help you out? Um maybe get through the pain of last year's presidential elections, did it give you some clarity, some hope, uh, looking at how we move forward in this country? I think um, lots of things are going to be changing in the next decade. Over the last 30 years, uh, I think the Philippines has been sort of slowly gaining momentum. And then this next decade, you know, 2020s, Starting in the pandemic, all the way to 2030, I think it's going to be this decade of change for the Philippines and for the world, I think. Um, more so because this is the time when people like myself, uh, people my age, the millennials are going to come into power. The millennials are going to be the ones holding office um, they're going to be the ones making the decisions in the next 10 years and you know that's all that you know it's a, it's a generation that that basically lived through the analog and the digital phase and i don't know how that that is going to pan out you know there's a lot of new things uh, there's a lot of let's say new ideas the world is a better place for sure Um, but also it's also a scarier place because of a lot of different things you know social media and now AI obviously AI is going to change the game dramatically Uh, I don't know how it's going to change but just this last few months AI has been in the news and just like we talked about social media with Ricky maybe we'll have a talk in the next two years again we'll have a conversation and AI is the the game changer who knows you know and I I really feel that AI is going to be one of those game changers for the world and for the Philippines at large so let's wait and see this is going to be an interesting time and thank you thank you again to all of you listeners for listening to the Wildcast podcast and if you want to support the podcast support the work that we do go to buymeacoffee.com slash wildcast and you can buy us a coffee so thank you so much and see you on the next episode of the Wattcast
0: Podcast.